Hosea chapter 14, God willing, we'll be expounding verses 14, I'm sorry, verses 15 through 16. The title of the message this morning is, Liberals and Conservatives, Sinners Alike. Liberals and Conservatives, Sinners Alike. In our verses last week, we learned about the two types of churches that we find in the last days, and we find here in our last days, and that was church on the mountain and church in the shade. The first church is emotional. The second is comfortable. Neither is biblical. The majority of Israelites belong to these practices. The majority of people belong to churches like this today, uh, which have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Now, when God gave Hosea these words, when he gave Hosea the message that we've been studying, historically speaking, the nation of Israel had already been divided into two nations, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Same people, they were all Jews, they just came from different tribes, uh, but they've been split into two nations. And simply put, the kingdom of Israel was the more liberal kingdom in the nation, and the kingdom of Judah was the more conservative kingdom in the nation. The kingdom of Israel, the liberals, were far more abundant. There were many more of them than they were the conservatives. Kind of sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? Here in the USA, just like America, the nation was split in two between the liberals and the conservatives. So how is that Uh, for a timely message for us. I think it's pretty timely. The majority of this message has been focusing on the liberal party, if you would. Focusing on the nation of, or the kingdom of Israel. The ten liberal tribes that God has been addressing. And man, we love uh, uh, focusing our messages on the liberal party, don't we? It's a lot of fun. We love getting our little group together whether it's here at church or whether it's at work or around the dinner table or whatever event that we happen to be uh, at. And we love to get our little conservative group together and talk about how bad all the liberals are. It's fun. We talk about how crazy they are, how goofy Joe Biden is, how dangerous the po- their policies and their beliefs are to our nation. And they are. But we see today that God has a warning for conservatives too. You see, what makes the liberals so dangerous is not simply the fact that their policies are crazy, that they're evil and provoke the judgment of God in our land. That's bad enough. But what also makes them so dangerous is that when we see the grossness of their sins, it makes it difficult for us to see our own. It, it's, if you could think of it this way, we, we, we may look good compared to the people around us. But we still come short of the God above us. And if you haven't noticed, the liberal faction in this world is becoming more and more wicked at an alarming pace. Would you agree? Used to, it went kind of slow because society wouldn't accept what we accept today. But now, they just bulldoze right on through. And they're, they're moving away from godliness at an alarmingly fast pace. Who would have thought that medical, uh, uh, psychiatric, and social professionals 
would be promoting the concept that little boys can become little girls if you carve up their little bodies. That's here today. Who would have thought that the United States military would be allowing uh, uh, transvestites to read stories to our little children on military bases? The wicked world is running away from God at an alarming pace. But, but think about this for a moment. Let's say that you're traveling 60 miles an hour down the road. Let's say God is here, and you're traveling 60 miles an hour the wrong direction. All right? Now, let's say there's someone ahead of you, a couple of miles ahead of you, that's also traveling 60 miles an hour in that same direction you are. No matter how far you travel from the place you're running away, you'll always be two miles behind the people in front of you if you're both traveling 60 miles an hour. The point is, our righteousness can't be measured by the distance between us and the liberals ahead of us. Because we can all be headed in the wrong direction at the same pace. And the liberals will still be miles ahead of us, away from God, giving us the appearance that we are okay because we are closer to God than they are. Does that make sense? So God has a message of warning to the kingdom of Judah today. We've been looking at the kingdom of Israel. Now God has warned the message of Judah to the smaller faction of more conservatives in the land. And thus he has a message to every one of us in our land. Lest we fancy ourselves to be heading in the right direction simply because we haven't traveled as far away. In verse 15, God says, Though thou, Israel, that's the liberal people, play the harlot, that's what they've been doing, yet let not Judah offend. Even though the liberals have been playing the harlot, don't forget, Judah, you don't need to offend either. Even though Israel is playing the harlot with false gods, Judah had better not. Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel belong to that northern kingdom. And only two belong to the southern kingdom. There's always been a struggle, you know. When you, when you think of uh, the numbers here, ten tribes that are liberal, two tribes that are at least moderately conservative. There's always been this struggle between children and parents in society, you know. Think of all the ten tribes. They far outnumbered, far outnumbered the conservatives. In, in the land. And when you look at the struggle between parents and children's society, the children watch their peers do one thing. But their parents tell them to do something different than their peers are doing. The parents will tell the child, you're not allowed to do that in this house, or you can't go there, you can't wear that, or you can't do this. And the child will say, but mom, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Uh, which... You know, you look here, and, and the people in Judah, they could be watching these people there in, in uh, uh, Israel, and my goodness, 10 to 2, you know? Everybody's doing it. And that's really the way it, it must have appeared to them. Well, listen up, everybody, for God is making it clear today in our Scriptures. When He's telling Judah to not offend, even though the other 10 tribes are, God's letting us know that He doesn't care who all's doing it. 
If God says it's wrong, then it's wrong if everybody's doing it. And if God says it's right, then it's right even if nobody's doing it. Our nation is a nation of laws today. And who makes up those laws? Our politicians. And who puts those politicians into office? Of a majority vote. So those politicians represent the majority of the people in our nation who put them as representatives representing them, their values, and thus their laws. The laws are written by politicians who are elected by a majority vote. But as we learn from Israel this morning, you can be the majority and still be wrong. And this means the law that the majority makes can also be wrong. Did you know it was legal in the kingdom of Israel by, by the man's law? It was legal in the kingdom of Israel to practice idolatry? In fact, it was promoted in Israel. I mean, when your leaders are doing it, you know? And so it was completely legal. A lot of times we say, well, I've broken no laws. Well, what matters is not if we've broken man's law so much as if we've broken God's law. If man's law is a reflection of God's will, then we sure don't want to break man's law. But if man creates a law that violates the will of God, then we want to obey God rather than man, right? When that conflict comes. In church, I firmly believe that there's going to come a time here in the United States of America... Before too long, when we will be forced to choose between being a criminal and being obedient to God's Word. I believe the laws of the majority will force us to have to choose that. I believe there will come a time when the laws written by the majority will require us to disobey the laws written to us in God's Word. What's Brother Shepherd going to do? You know, he's a, a deputy sheriff. What's he going to do when uh, he's testifying in court one day against a man who identifies as a woman? And he's got a liberal judge in that district courtroom. And Brother Shepherd calls him by the pronoun he. And the judge says, uh, Deputy, you're to refer to her as she from now on in your testimony. What's he going to do? Is he going to acknowledge that he actually is a woman and go ahead and agree with the judge in society? Or is he going to say, Judge, I can't do that. Well, then you're going to face contempt of court. I'll have to put you in jail. i tell you what I'd do. I'd rather go to jail following God's word than go free following man's word. But I believe it's going to come a time when we have to face things like that in our nation. I don't think it's very far away. What are you going to do when the government tells you you can't speak out against certain sins? What are you going to do? You're going to button it up and say, well, we can't talk about that anymore. Or are you going to say, well, God tells us to teach his word and to let our light shine before men. And you can't let the light shine if you're putting a bushel on it. On the candle, right? So are we going to, we're going to choose between whether or not we're going to let our light shine as the Lord Jesus told us to. Or if we're going to let, just sit still and let the government put a bushel on our light. 
What if they make it the law and it's wrong? Will you obey it? Majority doesn't define morality. That's what we're learning about here in the book of Hosea when God says, even though Israel is doing it, even though those ten tribes are doing it, don't you two tribes do it. In the prophet Samuel's time, the majority of Israelites were against idolatry. In the prophet Hosea's time, the majority was for it. <laughs> same God, same nation, same people. So understand then that a majority makes up a society. What was socially unacceptable in Samuel's time was celebrated in Hosea's time. The times had changed with the people. There was a great cultural shift that occurred between those prophets, between Samuel and Hosea. Great cultural shift separated by many years. It was socially acceptable in Israel to practice idolatry. Nevertheless, God's telling Judah, you take no part in that. And this makes it absolutely clear for us today that the prohibitions that God places upon idolatry back in the book of Exodus chapter 20 were in no way affected by the cultural changes that occurred in Hosea's day. In other words... The culture in Hosea's time had no impact on what God told Moses to write in Moses' time. The culture in Hosea's time had no effect on God's opinion of what he wrote way back in the ancient days of Moses. I could just hear those people in Hosea's time. Someone said, well now you know the Bible says... They were not to make unto us any graven image or any likeness of anything that's heaven above or an earth beneath or in the water under the earth. We're not to bow down to it nor serve it. For the Lord our God is a jealous God. And I could hear people say, well now, that was written many years ago. And times have changed. And that was written for the people of that time and the culture that they were in. And they just explained God's word all the way. But here we see God's not explaining anything away. He's still sticking with what he told Moses many years ago. Regardless of the culture. Listen, when God wrote against idolatry through Moses, and when he gave the law, do you know why he wrote against it? Because idolatry was culturally acceptable then. And he condemned it when it was acceptable because it's not acceptable in Moses' time. He condemned it when it was acceptable in Hosea's time because it was still unacceptable. Because God's not affected by time. He's eternal. And right is right and wrong is wrong. No matter how many times the sun goes up and down and our world revolves around it. Nothing changes with morality. Hosea didn't tell the people of Israel that God had forbidden idolatry back in the book of Exodus because of the cultural uh, uh, movement at that time. God didn't tell Hosea, Hosea, say this to the people of Israel. Hear, O people of, I'm sorry, the people of Judah. Hear, O people of Judah. Judge not thy sister Israel for her idolatry. For what I wrote in time past to thy fathers must be interpreted according to the culture of that time. He didn't say that. God's not affected, affected by time and culture. People 
today. Here's one of the things that really get me. When the Bible talks about there not to be any women pastors, any women standing up and teaching uh, in the church to men. And the Bible explains why they're not to in very clear, certain terms. And after saying it so plainly, what are we doing today? We're watching churches pushing closer and closer toward women leadership in the church. And those who, like me, and like Brother Shepherd, and like anybody who follows God's Word and is not affected by culture, but by, by God's Word, those people who stand up against that and say, no, that's wrong, that's against God's design, that's against God's command, they look at us as being misogynistic, as being bigots, as being way old-fashioned. I can hear those people in Hosea's time. Oh, Hosea, that's so old-fashioned, that condemnation of idolatry. We've grown so far. You know? That was ancient history back then. We've, society has progressed since the times of Moses. Those are the arguments we hear today. Yes, we have progressed in the wrong direction. And so they say, well, that was written back then because of the culture they had at that time. That's what they say about women preachers. They can't deny the fact the Bible says no. So they just say that's because of the culture at that time, but it doesn't exist because our times have changed. Well, our times have changed, but our God hasn't changed. We see that. Here's a kingdom truth for you this morning. The Bible must be interpreted according to the definition of the word, not according to the condition of the time. We'll say it again. When you're reading the scriptures, when you're trying to find God's truth in what he's telling you today, the Bible must be interpreted according to the definition of the word, not according to the condition of the time. What does the word say? What do the words mean that are in the scriptures? Listen to what they mean, and that's tell you what God's telling you. So God says, don't offend, don't become a harlot like your sister Israel. Look back in your text. And come not ye unto Gilgal. Come not ye unto Gilgal. Now, what is he talking about Gilgal? Well, if you'll keep your place there in... uh, in, in where you're at now in the text and turn to Hosea chapter 12. Just flip, flip a few chapters ahead of where we are this morning. Turn to Hosea chapter 12. And we'll see why God's telling them not to go to Gilgal. Hosea chapter 12, look with me in verse 11. God asks, Is there iniquity in Gilgal? Surely they are vanity. They sacrifice bullocks in Gilgal. Yea, their altars are as heaps in the furrows of the fields. Now, there was only one place to sacrifice. 
and that was at the tabernacle. Their sacrifices were absent of their God. Whether they were sacrificing in their minds to the God of creation or they were sacrificing to the false gods. Either one was wrong. And this is a, a hangout a, a, where God says their altars are as heaps in the furrows of the fields. When you, when, when you go to where my wife's from, Indiana, you get up there and you look, and I'm telling you, man, there's nothing but corn and soybeans. I mean, that's, that's all that's up there. You look this direction, furrows in the fields. You know how it is when you drive by and you see the lines going down? It's kind of fun to watch. Look this direction, furrows in the fields. It's everywhere. That's how God's describing the altars in Gilgal. They're everywhere. Gilgal was just very, very religious place, uh, but they were religiously wrong. There was much idolatry there. There was much false worship there in Gilgal. And God says, don't go there. Don't have any part in that. You stay in Judah. You, you, you sacrifice according to my law at my tabernacle. Why? Because any other offering, any other place, violated God's structure. Everything to do with that tabernacle represented the gospel that Jesus would accomplish, the good news he would accomplish. When he died in our place, was buried in a tomb like us, or in a grave like us, and then he rose and overcame death on our behalf. That's all the sacrifices were about. Was Jesus coming? And so they were perverting the message of God, the message of the coming Savior, by making it into something else that God never made it. So you're destroying religion. Don't go to Gilgal. Have no part in that. Listen, you don't have to travel out of town to go to Gilgal. You can travel across the street. You can travel across the parking lot. You can travel anywhere where the gospel of Jesus Christ is compromised. Where the cross is compromised. When the message is polluted. And you're going to church where the message of the gospel is polluted. You're going to Gilgal. Anytime you corrupt the message of God's word, anytime you water down, thus saith the Lord, you're going to Gilgal. Turn, if you would, uh, back to our text. And look, it says, uh, And come not ye unto Gilgal, look back in your text, Neither go ye up to Bethaven. Neither go ye up to Bethaven. Bethaven was another popular place to practice idolatry. Now keep your place there and turn to Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10. Alright everyone should be there. And let's look here in verse 8. Look what God said. The high places also of Avon. Mount 1 underscore Avon. This is Beth-Avon that God's talking about. The high places also of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come upon their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills fall on us. Now that's completely fulfilled in the book of the Revelation. But right now, 
this is uh, showing us the temporary judgment of the people of Israel because of the false worship they had in Beth-Avon, which is in short called here Avon. So that's why God says, neither go ye up to Beth-Avon, God's warning Judah to keep their distance from these wicked places. By the way, while I'm on the subject, can I just get something out? The Bible says, what fellowship has light with darkness? What concord has Christ with Belial? It really hurts me when I see Christians run down to Florida to Disney World and spend their money supporting people who turn around and take that money and, and pervert our little children's minds. And create movies and cartoons with, uh, uh, with lesbians kissing and things like that. Try to corrupt our little children's minds. It's a factory of perversion. It's a factory of wickedness. And then we just run right off. Because we like to play. We like to go to pretend world. And take our money out and fork that over to them. Man, I tell you, don't go to Gilgal. Don't go to Beth Haven. I understand that you, a Christian can go and they can, they can go there and not be an idolater. Understand that. But also understand another principle that God's showing here. And that is, come out from among them and be ye separate from the world. And touch not the unclean thing. And I will be your God and you will be my people, God says. I don't want to have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. I'd rather reprove them. I'd rather stay away and condemn than go and support. Thank you very much. Beth Haven. Don't go to Beth Haven. Do you know that Beth Haven, the scholars say, is the same place as Bethel? Beth Haven and Bethel. Take your pens out and write down the word, whether in your margin or in your notes, the word Bethel, B-E-T-H-E-L. And now write down Bethaven beside it, B-E-T-H-Aven, A-V-E-N. Now the word Beth here in Hebrew, it means house, house. The word El in Hebrew is God. God. El Gibor, right? That's, that's one of the names for God, El Gibor. Um, Beth El means the house of God. But here in the book of Hosea, God doesn't call it Beth El, He doesn't call it the house of God, He calls it Beth Avon. The word Avon here in Hebrew, it means empty, vanity, empty. The house of God is now empty. You see that? There were wonderful memories, wonderful historical ties of, of God with His people at Bethel. But that place is holy no more. 
The house of God has now become the house of emptiness. It reminds me of when Jesus was in the temple, or at the temple, and he told the people, your house is left unto you desolate. The temple was Bethaven. God had departed from it. God was not in it anymore. All you have to do to go to Gilgal is to go to a place where God's word is corrupted. All you have to do to go to Bethaven is go to a place where God's not at. Anytime you push aside the God of the Word, I'm sorry, the Word of God, you push aside the God of the Word. Make sense? You can't have a place like this, a sanctuary, call it a church, take the Bible, and set that Bible aside. We're not going to go by this in this case. We're not going to go strictly by the Scripture. We're going to push it aside. When you push aside the Word of God, you have set aside the God of the Word. And now your house, which should be the house of God, is now the house of emptiness. It's Bethaven. And we've got a lot of Bethavens today. I tell you what, Brother Shepherd, there's a lot of Bethaven Baptist churches. A lot of them. Bethaven Baptist Church. God's no longer there. It was a major center of religious worship, and God wasn't there. You know what that tells us? Altar after altar after altar like furrows in these places. All the sacrifices, all the people going there. It was a mega center for religious worship. And God wasn't there. Don't be fooled by these mega churches. See how that works? It doesn't matter if the whole crowd comes and fills up a big stadium full of people. And some man get up there and he may hold the Bible in his hand. He may quote from it every now and then. But he doesn't take up and teach it like it's written and stand against sin and tell people this is what God's Word says about this. This is what we must do in this situation. This is what we must not do. And, 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 and be willing to step on toes and hurt feelings and all those things for the sake of truth. Because God's people would re- God would rather have His people walk in the light with hurt feelings than sit in the darkness feeling good about it. He'd rather have people go to heaven getting offended in the beginning than go to hell feeling good all the way down. Just because there's ten tribes in the church doesn't mean God's there. You see? That's what we're learning. Don't get all caught up in the worship of the times. Don't get caught up in the big crowds. Large crowds don't make good doctrine. The scriptures do. Don't get caught up in what's trending in religion. Get caught up in doing things the way the Bible says. Don't do these things, God said. Look back in your text. Nor swear the Lord liveth. He's saying don't swear by God's name when you're not following God's word. That's what he's saying. Don't swear by God's name when you're not following God's word. In my judge's courtroom, 
they still swear uh, by God's name. They'll ask a particular oath, and they'll end the oath with, so help you God. But people shouldn't swear by God's name who don't keep God's word. God doesn't want his name brought into it. (laughs) You know? For God said we should not take his name, how? In vain, in emptiness. Don't use God's name if you're not following God's word. Because if you're not following God's word, why should using God's name have any binding on your conscience? Don't bring me into it, he says. In other words, we should not take the name of the Lord our God in Bethaven. Kingdom truth. Never have God on the tongue without God in the heart. Never have God in the tongue, on the tongue, without God in the heart. Don't do these things, God said, verse 16. For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Backsliding is very misunderstood. I hear a lot of people, you know, they'll excuse themselves. Well, I'm just a backsliding Christian. Y'all ever heard people say that? I'm just, I'm just backslidden. I'm a Christian, but I'm backslidden. No, you're not. What is backsliding? A backsliding what? Heifer. Now, folks, I shouldn't have to tell you what a heifer is. This is East Texas. Tammy's folks, no corn. Our folks, no cows. Right? This is a cow. And so here's a cow. And here's a yoke. Because they had put that yoke on that cow's neck. And they might use that cow to grind. They might use that cow to drive a plow. They might whatever, you know. And so they'd put that yoke on that cow's neck. And that cow would be just like my stupid chickens. I'll go get those chickens. And I, they should know by now. But they don't. They should know by now that every time daddy comes to them. And I get a hold of one of them. I'm always going to take them to a good place where there's nice fresh clover to eat or something like that. I'm going to take good care of them. I never take them somewhere and put them where they don't belong or somewhere they don't need to be. Somewhere they don't want to be. But every time I come to those chickens, they just start backing up. And I have to corner them and then snatch them and then put them. They're just... Their their breed, they're just they're not loving creatures. They're just hungry creatures. That's the same way this heifer's doing here in the scripture. Jesus said, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You see, without Jesus, you're pulling the world's yoke. It's heavy. It's cumbersome. It brings you into mental depression. It offers you no hope outside of this present world. Jesus' burden, on the other hand, his yoke that he puts on us, it gives us joy, spring in our step. We look forward to plowing in Jesus' name. I love serving Jesus. So he says, I've got a yoke that's easy and light. I'll take your yoke off of you from this world. I will put an easy light yoke on you that you can serve and you'll enjoy. And here he comes to this heifer and he comes to put the yoke on this heifer. 
That heifer starts backing up just like my chickens. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want that on me. I don't want to do what your word says. I don't want to follow you. Oh, no, no, no. This is good for you here. Oh, back sliding, you see. Sliding back, going back, that heifer is. Away from the yoke of Christ. And we just laugh today and say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just backslidden. I'm just an old backslidden Baptist. No. You're a rebel who refuses to put your neck under the yoke of your God. That's what you are. Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer, he says. Look in your text as we close. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. I believe that's a bad translation. Take your pen and after the word place, write after it a question mark. A question mark. If you'll notice this has a period after it. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. If you look in the Jewish translation of the English uh, of the Bible into English, when the Jews translate the Bible into English, if you look in the Jewish translation, there's not a period there. There's a question mark. And the point is this: if you are a backslidden heifer, and God's trying to put the yoke on you, and you're a backslidden heifer. How is God going to feed a backslidden cow like a lamb in a large place? King David said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He said, he, he feedeth me. He feeds him in the green pastures. He leads him beside the still waters. Do you know Why? Because David had put his yoke under his Lord's neck, upon his neck. He had bent his neck down to receive the Lord's yoke. And because of that, God fed him as a lamb in a large place. Jesus said that he takes his sheep, he brings them in, and he takes them out, and, and, and he feeds them in the pasture. And so what he's asking is this. How can a backslidden cow... How can I feed a backslidden cow like a lamb if the cow won't follow me? If the sheep won't follow me, I can't take them out to pasture. You see how that works? That's what God's asking the people of Judah, the people of Israel. Is that what you want? A lamb's guided by its shepherd, but the backslidden heifer is pulling away. How can God bless a nation as His flock of sheep in a pasture when they are living like a stubborn ox under its master's yoke? The answer is, He can't. Nor can He for us as individuals. Put your neck under God's yoke. Don't be deceived into thinking because you are not as far away from God as the rest of the public that you're not going in the wrong direction. With that, we'll close in prayer. My goodness, when I read these scriptures, I just think how timely, how precise, 
and how God's word digs deep down into our hearts and takes out all the bad and washes it up when we receive it. God help us, Lord, I pray today. Lord, we become a country that wants to be fed as a lamb in a large place. But even though that's our desire, we're behaving like a heifer sliding back. We don't want to put our neck under the yoke, but we want to feed like a lamb. And God, we know we can only feed when we're led. When we have the yoke of Christ upon us. Lord, I don't want to be sliding back. I don't want to be going astray. I want to follow the shepherd to the place I need to be. Because there's the place that's a good land for me. And large. With still waters. And grass that restores my soul. I pray you'll help each and every person here today. Receive your word with meekness. And Father Lord. With surrender. In Jesus precious name we pray. Amen.